Hello everyone, welcome to Sunday Stories at 6. My name is Fatima Jaffer and today is all about intersectionality. For those of you that don't know what that is, we are going to be talking about it in today's episode, so stay tuned. But I do want to mention that today's episode is all about the Haitian community. Why, you might ask? Well, because the U.S. has consistently detained more Haitian families in 2020 than any other nationality. In fact, Haitians make up 44% in family detention centers, which is actually terrible and has gone so long without being discussed. All of these facts are from the Refugee and Immigrant Center for Education and Legal Services. Now, today's episode does feature a friend of mine from high school. Her name is Shireen Rad, and we actually went on a lobby visit the other week together on Senator Marco Rubio's office for immigration reform. Although we didn't get to t- talk to Senator Rubio himself, we did talk to a staffer on immigration reform, and the staffer did mention the large Haitian population in Florida and how there needs to be something done about it. So, Senator Marco Rubio is going to introduce a bill which talks about temporary protected status for our Haitian communities. Now, I know that I've been saying that, you know, immigration reform is nonpartisan, and I think this is a really good example of just that. I really don't see eye to eye with Senator Marco Rubio on a lot of things. However, this is one of the things that I do see eye to eye with him about. Haitians deserve temporary protected status, but I do also believe that they deserve citizenship as well as every single other immigrant in the United States. However, temporary protected status is the first step to getting these Haitian communities the pathway that they deserve, especially if they come here after natural disasters, which they tend to do and which tends to happen. Now, without further ado, please welcome Shireen Rad. All right. Hello, Shireen. Um, For those of you that do not know who Shireen is, I have known Shireen from high school. And, you know, luckily because of this podcast, it's allowed me to kind of connect with people that I really haven't talked to in years. So welcome, Shireen, on this podcast. Hey, Fatima. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Of course. Um, Yeah. yeah, um, I... I care. I really love your podcast and everything because it really like gives a perspective on how immigrants should be acknowledged and should be vouched for, you know, and that's, you know, that's always amazing, especially because my family, uh, I come from two immigrant parents um, who came here from the Middle East and, you know, they've struggled assimilating to the culture of the American culture, basically. Mm-hmm. Um that in the financial growth that comes with that, you know, to become someone in America and growing up with that culture deeply rooted in the way I was raised gave me a lot of perspective as well on how immigrants should be treated and how everyone deserves to have someone acknowledge them. Yeah, no, I absolutely love that, Shireen. Yes, I completely agree. And thank you so much, by the way, for that compliment. But no, thank you. Um, literally, it's because of people like you that come on and are willing to share their story and are willing to, you know, kind of advocate for the larger community. So thank you, by the way, for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, of course. But yeah, no. So do you want to kind of like, you know, talk a little bit more on why why you even think immigration reform is important? I know you said that, you know, you come from a family of immigrants and, you know, your parents had a very hard time assimilating over here so 
do you kind of want to like you know talk a little bit more about that before we really get into the nitty-gritty of it oh sure yeah it it is very difficult for immigrants to assimilate because they've known their home country to be how you know how they present themselves how they interact with others and to completely transform that and come here and just adjust constantly um, to feel accepted because we have kind of one way to be in this country and that's you know go to work you know interact normally quote unquote normally mm-hmm. and it's it's very difficult for a lot of immigrants and you know especially language barriers that's a huge one too um, so immigration reform needs to be done to make it easier for people to assimilate you know they don't have they don't need that extra stress Right, exactly. And right now, there really isn't a direct pathway towards citizenship. So, in fact, it's just so bad right now. And on top of all of that, you know, they have to deal with, just like you said, they can't even assimilate properly with their work. They can't assimilate properly with wherever they are. You know, the language barrier is a thing. There's also, you know, discrimination in the workforce and the education field there's so many different factors that they have to deal with every single day and this is just another barrier for them to kind of just live better lives so uh, so thank you so much for saying that shireen but absolutely yeah so um so the reason why shireen is here today is because we actually went on a lobby visit last week and after the lobby visit she was telling me a little bit more on how Um, there's a large target on kind of the Haitian population and how they are more likely to be targeted through ICE and targeted through these border patrols and all these different, you know, type of restrictions because they're not only immigrants, but also because they are black. So today we are going to talk about intersectionality. So Shireen, would you like to, you know, kind of get started on that? Absolutely. Yes. Thank you for that introduction. Um, We really need to talk about these issues because, you know, the media ignores it. I didn't know personally, like the whole, the huge gap in numbers statistically between Haitians and the rest of, you know, Latin America. And that could, you know, that's due to the continuous mistreatment, not just from the United States, but other Latin American countries as well. Right. And just to like, you know, go back a little bit, what is intersectionality for those of you know that might be listening but might not know what that is so intersectionality um that is basically you know the interconnected nature of um race class and gender so it overlaps um so certain people who are for example like if you are black you know you face certain challenges if you're a black woman certain you also face more challenges so these things like overlap there's you know things with sexual orientation and um it just it has so many interdependent systems of discrimination and disadvantages Mm -hmm. yeah exactly and anything that goes against the hegemony and for those of you that don't know what the hegemony is it is being white being male being straight being christian and I think, and also being um, wealthy as well. So those five things mm-hmm. are what the hegemony is. The more away you are, so the further you, away you kind of deviate from it, the more you experience these discrimination factors and the more you kind of have to deal with all of these stressors that, you know, the hegemony doesn't have to deal with. So 
so yes so shireen um what were you saying with the statistics and everything with the haitian population and the latin community yeah so um the united states has the largest uh, Haitian migrant population in the world. Um, so 687,000 immigrants in 2018, and most of them reside in Miami, but they're also in New York and Connecticut. There's like, you know, they're all over the United States. Um, so about 40,000 Haitians are currently detained in the United States. and. Um, according to, you know, Representative Wilson, she writes the uh, Haitian Deportation Relief Act, um, and that stops ICE deportations and um, detainment. Around 25 to 30 Haitian immigrants are being deported every single week. Wow. Okay. And do you, like, where is that? Like, is that in the United States, like, more broad, or is that specifically in Florida? Where is that? So she's more in the, um, the, she's in the 24th Congressional District, which is, you know, in the Miami-Dade area. Uh And um, so these are immigrants that might have overstayed a visa or they never applied for TPS um, or they await like an asylum hearing to become a citizen. Got you. Okay. Wow. That's really interesting. I did not know that. I actually, I taught math two summers ago. So not this past summer, but the summer before that in Miami-Dade. And I actually taught at a high school that was largely um, Haitian populated. So that's mm-hmm. interesting to know. Wow, I didn't even know that. But yeah, go ahead, continue. Yeah, and Miami-Dade, I actually, I do also know a lot of uh, Haitians that are from Miami-Dade as well. And just hearing their stories about, you know, what it takes to get here. And, you know, I could relate because, you know, with my family, they have similar stories. Like you have to have the legal, or I'm sorry, you have to have the wealth to kind of prove yourself in the ambassador, to the ambassador. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very difficult, especially because, you know, two thirds of the Haitian population are in poverty. So the means to get here already is way, a, a very challenging for a lot of Haitian immigrants. Yeah, I know. Oh my gosh. I, Gosh, so on top of, you know, on top of kind of having to deal with everything that they were already dealing with in the first place, they have to come here and now deal with new challenges, such as being discriminated against, such as being deported, such as being kind of separated from their family also. Yeah, yeah. And to come here, most of the time, what I, from what I've heard talking to people, it's about who you know, if you have relatives or family here already, they will vouch for you, but not everybody has the, the relatives or no, has the connections to vouch for them. Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult. And, um, you know, a lot of immigrants, you know, generally they get uh, legal permanent residence from their employment, but for Haitian immigrants, it's more about the family and relatives vouching for them. Huh. Wow. Okay. So, Wow, that's, I see, these are things that I'm learning as well. So thank you so much for coming on and, you know, educating not only everybody that's listening, but also me as well. So I yeah, so I know that you have, you know, a few other stories that you wanted to share as well. Do you want to kind of go into that? Yes. Um, so there, the, the way that people have to come here, um, a lot of them are via 
makeshift boats. So that's how desperate a lot of people are to get out of their situations at home, um, especially with the ongoing pandemic. You know, there's a 44% increase in Haitian um, deportations alone. That's the highest of any other country. So another issue um, from what I've heard is, you know, with the current pandemic, you know, when they're getting sent back, there's a few case, cases where there are positive cases. And so with the limited testing capacity in Haiti, treatment is very hard to get already. Um, so that puts a lot of people at risk. But um, for anybody listening that, you know, as of Haitian descent, um, you might have heard of the Clovis boat. I never heard about this, but I was told this. It, it hasn't been covered on many media um, websites or anything, but 17 college students died trying to come here on a boat and it was, they all drowned and it's just, it, it was, it's such a tragic story and two of them were two-year-olds as well, so they're children. Wow. Um, yeah, and it's, it's so tra tragic and, you know, a lot of people don't really recognize the effort that immigrants go through to come here. Um, and it's just looked over all the time, especially, you know, in the Haitian community. Right. And I really want to kind of emphasize um, the point that you made and like how people are coming here, not not by, you know, choice necessarily, but because they really don't have any other choice. And this is their only option. So right. they need to come here. It's not like they even want to come here. It's because they need to come here. Um, but I do want to kind of, you know, state that I have heard a little bit about this thing, but I've heard of it. I've heard of it in a negative connotation. So a lot of people will refer Haitians to quote unquote boat people. Whereas in, you know, in reality, that's really not the case for a majority of the population. And referring to them as boat people is very offensive and a microaggression and actually just racist. So I do want to point that out. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a very good point. And people just need to check themselves when they're making these assumptions mm -hmm. about people. Yes, I completely agree. Oh, but yes, continue. Sorry, I just, I, my thoughts are just all over the place right now. No, it's okay. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, yeah, um, people pay up to thousands of dollars just to get people to help them come in, you know, <clears throat> and it's, it's just like, people just need to think beyond of the scope of their privilege when they think about you know oh well they're just illegal they're just coming here to steal jobs and you want to do xyz and I'm, the basis of this country was founded on immigration and uh, looking for a better life so just because someone is coming from a poorer country you're already attaching all of these negative connotations toward them and you know that's a product of living in a very classist society um, and so we're just conditioned to think that people come here to steal, you know, your comfortability when that's not the case. They're usually doing the jobs that you're too uncomfortable to do. Um, and they're not stealing the jobs. They're just doing them and they're not getting paid as well, you know. So it's, it's just a lot of people just need to think, you know, openly about these things. It's not about 
well, they're just coming to reap the advantages. No, they're they're coming because their family is facing dangers in their home country that you can't even imagine. Right. Oh, gosh. And I know that, you know, because of the natural disasters and everything, a lot of them have to come here, you know, again, out of really no choice. It's not like they really want to leave their home country. It's not like they want to leave their family. They have to come here in, you know, situations of emergency sometimes. And that's just the reality of it. And instead of acting like people are trying to take your jobs, there needs to be more compassion. There needs to be more sympathy. There needs to be more open arms other than closed arms. And I think a lot of that also has to do with the media as well. Because if you look at the media, you know, a lot of immigrants really aren't portrayed that well. And it all goes back to, you know, a certain agenda. If if immigrants were portrayed well, then the agenda would be, oh, well, then why don't we just provide for them a pathway towards citizenship but if you highlight these immigrants being bad these immigrants being illegal these immigrants being aliens if you use all of these words it plays into a certain narrative that goes for a certain agenda and to be honest that's that's really all it is like a lot of people just like to generalize just to throw it back into an agenda that benefits them yeah um it is a, a very racist term um, to use, and people. I think people just need to look beyond um, what they're comfortable with because it doesn't affect them, you know. So using that terminology and like you were talking about the microaggressions, um, it's just extremely harmful. It adds to the narrative of all these assumptions toward immigrants and you know people, minorities in general, um, and it needs to be stopped. Right. And I think that especially if somebody who uses these terms hasn't been through these situations, then instead of kind of being defensive about it, they need to stop and they need to start understanding people who do go through these things, who are offended by these things, because it is very offensive and it it is very racist. And a lot of people just get very defensive and don't understand other people perspectives just because they weren't able to live it themselves exactly yes and there, there's it's such a complex issue um the the amount of challenges that a lot of immigrants face is just beyond a, what a lot of people that get offended over these issues have even the you know the scope to think about right so mm-hmm. they're so comfortable living here they've never had to go through these challenges or if they have they've had easier accessibility to a pathway to citizenship but they should almost you know humble themselves they they were lucky Mm -hmm. in the situation in most cases this is not the case for immigrants a lot of them come here with nothing because that's how desperate they are to have a better life for their families for themselves um, to have some sort of security and safety assurance. Um, and that is threatened when th- these immigration laws don't protect the citizens. It's setting them up for fl- failure. It's setting our economy up for failure. So anybody that is really pro-diversity diversi- and not just, you know, with ethnicity and, you know, background, but in, in terms of business, in terms of um, ideology and finding solutions toward the problems that we have here, immigrants add an amazing perspective to that. And we need to acknowledge that as well um, and acknowledge them. And I think Haitian 
people are widely ignored on a global scale. They're seen as, you know, the poorest country or whatever. When, when you come to America, you should be kind of on a clean slate. It shouldn't really matter where you're coming from as long as you're trying to be the best you can be. Right. And if we look at the history of why Haiti is such a poor country, it all goes back to imperialism, colonialism and exploitation, because then like at the end of the day, it's not like, you know, it's not like they really had much to say in their in their country because a lot like the majority of the time in Haiti was controlled by Europeans. So I, I don't understand what people expect. It's not like all of a sudden, you know, when they're not colonized anymore, then everything just gets better automatically after they've already been deprived of all of their resources. It's something that people need to realize. But again, it all goes, I always tie everything back to the education system. It's just the way that we have been taught about these things. It's not explicit. It's not real. And it's not um, what we need to be actually learning about what actually happened and why countries, specific countries, are the way they are today. And it's all because of these countries that have taken over and, you know, drawn these invisible borders and have brought slaves over to the West and have just done terrible things that we just don't emphasize and we just don't talk about. So that just needs to be talked about more. That just needs to be addressed more. The root reason of why people even come to the United States in the first place all goes back to a whole history of terrible things. So a thousand percent agree. Yes. And when you look at Haiti specifically, they are the first country to have a successful slave revolt. Um, and it's almost like they're being punished for that. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. really interesting how there's certain aspects that, you know, were given for countries that were freed, quote unquote, freed from slavery uh, compared to those who freed themselves. And even now, when you're talking about imperialism, imperialism has wreaked havoc on the entire world and everything. And those roots, those, the colorism that occurs is because of those imperialism or imperialistic roots. Um, when people come here and they brainwash and they force religion, they force um, way of life, abuse, everything, that, that takes a toll, that takes a huge trauma, general, generational trauma occurring. So there, you know, and I would say in the Haitian community that that is in their blood to very, to be very resilient toward that, um, the challenges that are thrown at them. And that's what makes them courageous enough to come here um, mm-hmm. through any means necessary. So it's it's so important that we acknowledge that, you know, Yep, I completely agree. 100%. Exactly. They are resilient. They are courageous. They are just incredible human beings. And it's time we start talking about that instead of calling their country terrible names. Like, 
when we have a leader that does that, then you have a population that does that. And that is not okay. Because when I first found out um, everything that was going on and all of these negative connotations about Haiti, I was very surprised because to me, like, you know, to me, I see Haitian people in the United States and all I see is beauty. All I see is culture. All I see is wonderful things. And then I'm looking at the media and I'm seeing something else. It's just disheartening. It's disgusting. And it just needs to stop, in my opinion. Uh, of course. Yes, yes. And exactly. I, I've met so many Haitian um, families and they are just so strong and they have such a huge bond and I respect it so much and I strive for that type of bond when I'm older um, with my family and the the way the media portrays it like they don't really talk about the unequal distribution of wealth that the government over there um, keeps from its citizens it's it's terrible and you're looking for example like the the earthquake that happened um, I think 2009, I could be wrong, 2008, 2009, um, the terrible earthquake, there were so many fun, there was so much funding that was supposed to go over and help the citizens, but most of it, the majority of it did not touch, you know, helping citizens. And that is, that's not their fault, you know, and how, I, I'm sorry, I'm getting so like emotional about it, but you know, it, yeah. how, how dare you know people say these things when it's beyond the the citizens' control over there to to get any of that wealth and you know rebuild from that horrible, horrible catastrophe. Exactly right. And, you know, just going back to intersectionality as well, on top of you know being an immigrant, obviously because of their race, they're also experiencing discrimination based off of, you know, systemic injustices, social injustices that are occurring every day in their lives. And, you know, that's not something that they can hide, right? So when they walk into somewhere, um, you know, when I was a child, I was able, so I am Muslim, and I was able to hide my Muslim identity, even though, you know, now I would never do that. But as a kid, I would hide it all the time just because I was afraid of what people would think. Um, but, you know, skin color is not something that you can hide. You cannot hide who you are. You should be proud of who you are. But unfortunately, our society, when when we not we I don't even want to say we because I am mm -mm, no thank yeah. you but when, when people see something or see someone or see you know something like a material that shows that you are someone different they tend to treat you very badly they want you to be like them when in reality it's beautiful to be different it's beautiful to be a certain ethnicity, certain races. It's beautiful to have certain cultures. It's beautiful to be just different all around. And we're just so against that. Again, with the weird we. I don't know why I say we. Ugh, I am not part of that. <laughs> it's so fun. I like catch myself. They, they just need to stop. Like people just need to really realize that the whole reason why the United States is the way it is today is because of our immigrants that are coming in it's because of people with their different ideas with their different backgrounds all coming in to contribute to this country and that is what makes it beautiful yes 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 i completely 100 percent agree with what you're saying um and it's really just going back to like you said intersectionality we need to acknowledge these things 
And my my parents actually were telling me because we were having a discussion on racism and, you know, why people were like this, because I couldn't get through my head. Like, why would you hate someone based off their background? Like, just because it's different from you, that just never made sense. But inherited bias, I mean, that exists and it mm-hmm. is passed down. But what we need to do is acknowledge that. And once you have the power to acknowledge that, you change it, right? You're that person that changes the generations of racism that maybe, you know, your family has accepted and as traditional or, you know, whatever, because you don't want to, you know, so many issues with that. But like a lot of families are guilty of not stopping that cycle of um, of racism or uh, bias in their family. And it just takes that one person to be educated and teach their family in the future um, and their community that you need to acknowledge this bias and that they have inherited, right? So um, that's, that's the first step to change. Mm-hmm. And the first step to change, like you said, is using your voice because even though you might not think you know it could go it can go a long way it definitely does resonate with people especially your family members you know if you say something that they don't agree with chances are you know they're not gonna just let it go chances are you're gonna have a discussion or even an argument about it also and that's exactly honestly what we need you know i'm not saying that we should just get into arguments with all of our family members and right (laughs) that but, (laughs) but there definitely needs to be a conversation being made there definitely needs to be that initiative that okay you know what this has been wrong and this is what I'm going to do to fix it because now I understand and it all goes back to wanting to understand as well so you can't change somebody that doesn't want to learn unfortunately so yeah yeah Yeah. I mean yeah that's and we can only understand to a certain point where we just really need to listen to the most marginalized mm-hmm. groups. We need to just hear their stories. And although I can't fully understand, I can empathize and I could do my best to help them and help them feel heard, feel acknowledged and, you know, help them succeed because I, I have privilege. We have privilege as citizens of this country. So we have to advocate for those who don't have a voice. Right. And I love, love, love that you just said that because it all goes back to being an anti-racist. So it's not just not being racist. It's actually taking the steps to not like, like you said, you know, you can never fully understand what somebody's going through. However, you can do whatever you need to do in order to use your privilege and stand up as a voice um, and stand up against people that are discriminated against discriminating against them whether that be in your house or whether that be you know at your job at the end of the day that is your duty and that is your privilege and that is exactly why you have your privilege in the first place what are you going to do with it facts you're speaking facts look at that. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh oh, but yes thank you so much shereen for coming on this podcast um is there anything else that you would like to add before we kind of conclude uh, just be anti-racist. That's really the, the, the gist of, you know, yeah. But thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I love this conversation. I'd love to do it again. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, and thank you so much for being on here. Thank you, Shireen. Yeah, thank you, Fatima. Thank you so much, Shireen, for coming on today's podcast. If you would like to get more involved, please email me at fj15 at my.fsu.edu. Again, that's FJ15 
15@my.fsu.edu. Thank you for listening everyone. Take care, stay safe, and I will see you all next Sunday at 6.